as we gather around this table this evening, it's very important that we think about and understand the meaning of what we're doing and why we're doing it, particularly as we partake of the bread and the drink of the vine. There are a number of reasons that we do this, and I tonight am particularly reminded of two. Two reasons for this. Firstly, obedience. There's a number of occasions in the Word of God in the Old Testament that the coming of, of, about the coming of Christ to save his people. This is prophesied, not the least of them, by the prophet Isaiah over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. I'll just read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Sovereign Lord has filled me with his spirit. He has chosen me and sent me to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce release to the captives and freedom to those in prison. He has sent me to proclaim that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. So 750 years later, approximately, Jesus quoted this prophecy when he was speaking in the temple at Nazareth. You'll remember that was his home for most of his earthly life. And I just read from Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. Then Jesus went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, on the, and on the Sabbath he went as usual to the synagogue. He stood up to read the scriptures and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the people in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him as he said to them, This passage of scripture has come true today as you heard it being read. Now by this time Jesus knew very well exactly what his role and purpose was to be. He knew that he would be taken and whipped almost senseless and that he would be nailed to a cross at Calvary to undergo, undergo the most horrific of physical deaths. He knew what God the Father was asking of him and like us had a free will of his own. Yet Knowing what was before him, he remained totally obedient that day in the temple and declared unreservedly who he was and what he'd come for. I know that my level of obedience pales into insignificance in comparison to Jesus that day. The second reason for us to understand what we are here for this evening is love. This again is graphically illustrated by the prophet Isaiah. And uh, I read from Isaiah 53, chapter 3, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses, uh, sorry, chapter 53, verses 3 to 6. We despised him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. But he endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that we should have borne. All the while we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. But because of our sins he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. 
We are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. All of us were like sheep that were lost, each of us going his own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserved. This is the greatest illustration of love that we could ever find. God limiting himself to a human being. Our own creator allowing himself to be beaten and crucified by us, his creation. To take upon himself the punishment for our sin. To allow that sin to be removed far from us and bring us back into a personal relationship with him. What incredible love that is. As we shortly take the bread and the cup, I would ask and challenge myself and each one of us here this evening, do we love our Lord and our neighbour as he loves us? And are we as obedient for him as he has been obedient for us? Therefore tonight, let us come in faith, conscious of our weakness, renouncing our sin, humbly putting our trust in Jesus and seeking his grace and mercy. And Phil's now going to pray for us. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we um, come before you and acknowledge that we are a sinful people before you. Uh, so Lord Jesus, we, we confess our sin to you. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would just uh, yeah, wash us clean and, and change us. Father, thank you for forgiveness in Jesus. Lord, as we come and uh, take the bread and the cup now, we are reminded of this great sacrifice, the obedient steps you took to die upon a cross for our sin, uh, that your blood shed in the cup, and now uh, your body broken, represented by the, the bread we eat now. Our Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would just impress upon us more that we might more understand your love for us and uh, more live in love for those around us and love for you. Thank you, we pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, uh, we're going to share in <coughs> communion together. And I just ask that uh, as the bread and the cup comes around, uh, <coughs> when you take the bread and the cup, eat the, eat the bread in your own time and... Uh, Reflect on the words that Ken shared with us and hold on to the cup and then we'll, sh we'll drink that together uh, as a sign that we're a community, that we're a family of God united by the blood shed for us on the cross. Let's share together. Let's pray. Father God, we, um, we do fall down, we lay our crowns, Lord, down because, we, because you are the king of the universe and we are not and we honour you as king here tonight. And uh, Father, we pray that you would be made known as we look through your word and uh, may the thoughts of our hearts and the meditations that we make, maybe they always be acceptable to you. And may the words that are not of you tonight, Father, may, just fall, may they fall to the ground unheard. And may it be your spirit who teaches us. We want to change. We want to become more like Jesus. We want to embrace your love more fully. 
Use it now, this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, have your Bibles there, please uh, turn with me to uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're reading from chapter 4, verse 8. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Galatians 4, 8 to 20. Paul's concern for the Galatians. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Every day, we as people are confronted and exposed to risks, risks of all different shapes and sizes. Um, has anyone seen this wacky show called Wipeout? Yeah, some fans. There are risks on that show. One particular event, picture uh, these people standing on like a pole, a pillar, and they're standing on top of it. And then they're kind of like in this big pool, so there's people, there's another person standing on a pillar over there, and then there's another person. They're all in this big circle, and there's a really tall pillar, and then underneath there is water, so if they fall off, they land on the water. They have helmets on, okay? Because in the middle of this large swimming pool is this mechanical arm that kind of just moves around the circle. And the aim of the game is to stand on your little tiny pillar and jump over this arm as it comes around. And to be the last person standing on the pillar, and the thing gets faster and faster, and it increases in height as it goes around. And I must be a sicko because I laugh my head off, right? (laughs) But you have these people and it comes around and, and someone loses balance and they fall off and you go, yeah, that's kind of funny. And then the next person jumps up and they clip the back of their feet and they smack their head on the pillar and they fall off. And I'll laugh a bit more. And then there's someone who's like laughing at the other person and it's like, doof, in the, in the guts and they kind of fall over and I'm just going, this is really, really funny. And my wife, Michelle, is just looking at me like I need prayer or something. Um, but there's risks on wipeout. 
But you don't have to, um, oh, YouTube, check it out. Season 1, episode 4, I believe. Um, I, there's a lot of risks though. You don't have to be on that show Wipeout to be exposed to risk because uh, it can happen all over the place. I remember one time being uh, in St Kilda in Melbourne and there was a fella who was like just quite drunk, lying in the gutter, but close to being actually in the way of cars. So I'm going, poor fella, better go and help him out. So I'm with a few friends, we're walking back from having dinner and I kind of, you know, tap him and say, hey buddy, you know, you're a bit on the road, can I help you get off? At which he stood up like he was sober, talked to me in a thick Scottish accent and was going, you want to go? I'll smash you. And it's like, my goodness me. And he was trying to like pick a fight with me and I'm just going, I'm just trying to help you get off the road, buddy. But, you know, but risk, I thought like I was going to get beaten up then. And it doesn't have to be that kind of thing. Like you be aware of the risks that are around. Driving a car, you know, you never know what will happen. So physical risks, you know, that physical problems that kind of uh, put our own health at risk. But it doesn't, we're not only exposed just to um, things that are risks to our physical health, but also to our spiritual health. So in tonight's reading of Galatians, Paul tells the church in Galatia, as well as us here tonight, that there are a number of risks that you and I, that the people in Galatia, had to be aware of. Things that if we're not kind of on guard uh, toward, we might kind of miss out or kind of be diverted from, from Jesus. Uh, last week, uh, James Punton, the master of messages, he preached um, on Galatians. He did the one from last week and he called it the Olympic edition. And this is just to give a bit of background. And he did a great job. Jimbo, is he here tonight? He's I'm not sure if he's actually here, but he did a terrific job at that. Uh, and in the preceding verses to tonight's passage, um, it was made clear that people, no matter what race or sex or social standing, that they, that anybody can enter God's team and they can win gold, life eternal with God. Um, and they do this through faith in Jesus Christ. And it was this notion that we can become sons and daughters of God in God's family, uh, no longer slaves. And no performance-enhancing drugs was he talking about. No performance-enhancing drugs can get us on the team or can help us out, but only faith in Jesus Christ. That was this beautiful message, like the, the pressure is off, it's faith in Jesus, and we can be on God's team forever. It's a great rejoicing because uh, if you're not on God's team, the, the effects are quite dramatic, and being on a team is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And uh, from slaves to sons was the message. But in tonight's passage, Paul's going, like, this is who you are in Jesus, this son or daughter of God. But now he says, but you're turning back. Now you're turning back to the old way. So we read that in verse 9, there's this risk of turning back. He says, Paul says, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? The risk of turning back. 
There's a, a mate of mine called Marcus. He loves coffee. Loves coffee. Uh, and I'm sure there would have been a time when Marcus drank Nescafe, Blend 43. But at some time in his life, he tasted real uh, coffee. The taste of uh, Blend 43 was replaced by the splendid flavour of nice, freshly ground and a percolated cup of genuine, non-instant coffee. He loves it so much that um, when he's at someone's house and they say, Marcus, do you want a cup of coffee? Before he says yes or no, he has to say, is it real coffee? And then he, if it's not real coffee, he says, sorry, <laughs> no thank you. That's kind of his way. It doesn't matter who it is, if he's going to cause offence, just can't bring himself to drink real coffee. Now, there might become a time when he hasn't, he's gone without it. He's gone without real coffee for maybe a day or a month or it might take him a few years where he's offered instant coffee. And maybe there's this risk of turning back to that horrid, inferior Nescafe. Paul's saying, it's horrid and inferior. It's the way of the slave. It's a horrible end that it has. Don't turn back. But yet, they are doing it. Verse 11 says, to hear the passion, he says, I fear for you, brothers. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul's worried that they're just going to leave it and go back. And it's not just the risk of the Galatians. It's, it's very much ours as well. I wonder, is there anything that you or I, we might turn back to? You know, having once put our faith in Jesus Christ, be, that we've become a son or a daughter of God. Is there anything that right now we have a risk of turning back to? The main one being repeated over and over by Paul is that the Galatians uh, might turn back to feeling like they have to do something more to be accepted by God. More than just faith, they have to obey the law. You might be at risk of this yourself tonight, but you might be at risk of turning back to something else. In your old life, um, as you lived your own way, not God's way, you, you might have enjoyed things, you might have tasted things that God is or hasn't been, is not that pleased with. And now are you at risk of kind of revisiting that, turning back to the old ways? So having tasted the good things of God, are you tonight, are you during the week at risk of turning back? What are you at the risk of turning back to? It's really important to reflect on that. Let's continue on. Um, please look at me at verse 12. Paul says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? The second risk is the risk of relationship breakdown. And specifically, the breakdown in relationship of 
the faithful follower of Jesus and the one that they might speak the truth to in love, that they might be straying a bit. The relationship breakdown between the one who's turning back and the faithful one who is trying to bring them back. We hear in the first few verses here that when Paul initially preached the gospel to the church in Galatia, we hear um, he was sick or he had kind of some kind of illness. And it doesn't tell us what the illness is. Some people think it might relate to his eyes because verse 15 he says, you know, you, you would have given me your eyes. Um, but we don't really know. But the picture is, um, you know, when Paul's delivered the gospel and they've received it, there's this joyous welcome. There's an embracing of, of these people to Paul, the Galatians to, to Paul. They have this amazing friendship with him. See, verse 14 says, you know, even though he had the illness, it was like they welcomed him. As if, as if he was an angel of God. Or he says, as if I was Christ Jesus myself. That's how much they embraced him. Then verse 15, the, the bit talking about that they would even tear out their eyes and give it to him. This is how much they actually um, are in close, strong friendship with Paul. They loved him back then. They had a great friendship. But now, it's gone. So in verse 15, it says, what has happened to all your joy? And you can picture the relationship kind of just crumbling as Paul speaks the truth to them. And he says, have I become your enemy now by telling you the truth? There's been a relationship breakdown between Paul, the faithful follower, and those turning back. And key to this relationship breakdown is this notion of telling the truth. So Paul's confronted them. Paul's actually got this relationship, but he's saying, what are you doing? And when he says that, they don't take it well, to the point of Paul feeling like he could even be an enemy for speaking the truth in love. It's relationship breakdown. Have you ever um, loved someone so much that you actually want to talk to the person about a destructive habit they have? Have you ever done this? You know, you, it's a, a loving, kind of diplomatic, it's a delicate way, but you want to speak to them this way. That they might see their problem and kind of be able to work through it. Have you ever done that before? And if you have, I, I wonder what response you got when you share the truth in love to someone? Like, was it joy? Or was it like a bit of defensiveness? I think quite often, sometimes we can respond quite defensive when someone comes up to us and they point out uh, an area that we know we're struggling with. I mean, in my role, every now and then it comes up. I'll be sitting with somebody and there'll be some uh, sin that they're struggling with that they're trying to kind of not talk about or hide away a bit and it pops up and we speak about it and I can just see the person just going, the walls go up, thanks very much, but you can just stop talking to me about that stuff. When a person is confronted with the error by another believer in love, they may respond this way, they may respond defensively. The goal is, obviously, you want to encourage them to follow Jesus, but it can be negative, the response. So there's a very real risk for us uh, in this relationship breakdown. When we turn back to the old way and then someone tries to bring us back. 
I wonder how this risk relates to you tonight even. You know, are, are you a person who tonight is actually turning back from God? You're turning away from Jesus. And has someone been telling you the truth and trying to encourage you to work through that and come back to Jesus? Are you a person who has been turning back, you know, turning away from Jesus? Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's God's Spirit who's actually, uh, you know, uh, reminding you, telling you, trying to convict you of your sin in order for you to leave it alone and turn back to Jesus and find forgiveness. The question is, if, if that's you tonight, how are you responding? Are you getting defensive? Is the relationship breaking down? Or are you responding by coming to a place of repentance where you're turning back to Jesus and finding that life again? Now, the, the risk, that risk of relationship breakdown right now in your life, it might not relate to you. But I can pretty much guarantee that it will. Because that's the nature of the Christian life. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we reveal, he reveals our sin to us and we're constantly met with that challenge. How do we respond? Do we go to Jesus or do we get defensive and move away? People will remind us and God's spirit will endeavour to convict us. So that's the second risk. The first one, uh, turning back. The second one, relationship breakdown when you do. There's a third risk also that Paul speaks of and it's the risk of false teachers. Please uh, look with me at verse 17. It says, uh, there are people there, these zealous people, and they're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. Now, what I want to point out is that there was a dodgy influence in the church of Galatia. These false teachers, and not just any old false teacher, but zealous false teachers, people with passion and energy, people with persuasive arguments, and they were the ones who were trying with all their passion and energy and persuasive arguments to lead them astray, to turn them back, to turn them away from Jesus, to begin to follow the law. Now, today for us, we haven't got people who... um, exactly the same, people who are zealously trying to turn us back to following the law God gave to Moses, but we do have people who are zealously trying to turn us away from Jesus. It's the nature of the times we live in. So if you read uh, the New Testament writings, regularly it comes up, warnings about false teachers. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, uh, Paul writes this, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Today's age, that risk is very, very real. And of course, um, we could find uh, false teaching about life and faith easily outside of the church. I mean, you don't have to listen to much radio or TV or internet or whatever to hear it. 
But it's also very present inside the church. Um, I'm not sure, but you may have read in newspapers about the current tension in the, Angli- in the Anglican Church. And it relates to the Anglican Church in America appointing gay bishops, of appointing men who openly declare their homosexuality. And they believe it's okay, and they even believe that God is pleased with their homosexuality. Some people in the Anglican Church in the States are happy with it and fine with it, but others are not. And it has the potential to like rip the church in half. Now, the issue for those that don't believe this is right, it's not that they hate gay people, but that they believe the Bible states that uh, same-sex sex is sinful. So today, you know, you can go to a liberal church, be it Anglican or Baptist, where the Bible is not really taught or followed, and you can get the message... It's all right to practice same-sex sex. God doesn't care. You could also go to a a liberal church today and uh, get another message that it's all right to get drunk every now and then as a Christian or it's all right to have sex before you get married or it's all right to be Buddhist, Muslim or New Age, even though God states very clearly it's not. Now, certain the point... Uh, these leaders in the Anglican Church are making is not to condemn people or to slander people or to stir up hate towards people but for those who have faith in Jesus Christ Jesus actually wants us to live uh, and leave actions behind that he doesn't like and not just the things are stated but um, anything that the Bible doesn't say is good so that we'll live more the way he wants us to Now, I can only tell you that if you find yourself influenced um, by this line of thinking to the point that you tolerate behaviour in your life, you know, and the Bible says it's wrong, but you somehow convinced yourself that God thinks it's all right, um, I know without a doubt that your relationship with God is breaking down right now. So the effect of being influenced by false teaching will be to turn us away from Jesus. The risk is very real today. So anyway, there are very real risks for those of us who follow Jesus. There are very real risks for you and I, the risk of turning back, the risk of relationship breakdown as you turn back, the risk of false teachers who are seeking to turn you away from Jesus. And it doesn't matter who you are as a Christian, might I add. It doesn't matter how mature you are. We are all at risk New believers have turned back. Our senior pastors have turned back. Other mature believers have turned back. So you and I, we are all at risk, whether you are aware of it or not. Now, being aware of these risks to our faith, like my, my, by me drawing attention to it, I mean, we could all get a bit worried, like we're going to be overcome by risk. We could even start to focus on the problem, on the negative aspect of risk, because it's very real. And if you're not feeling any way like that, it's like, you know, there might be good reasons, but maybe not. We could get negative about it. But what I want to say now is that I, think, I don't think risk is entirely negative. Risk does not need to be viewed in a negative way. God can actually take 
what Satan intends for evil and he can use it for good. God can actually use the very real risks in your life, in my life, and he can use them to grow us. The risk that confronts us day in, day out represents the most amazing potential for growth in faith. It's pretty amazing. Here's a little bit of how I reckon it works. When we're faced with any of these risks, like turning back or a relationship breakdown when when someone confronts us or false teachers, when we're faced with any of these risks, we can actually use that risk as a reminder to kind of depend more on Jesus, as a reminder to kind of go back every time it comes up. So it might look like something like this, like you're aware of it. It's like something comes up, it's a, it's a big issue, it's a risk, and it's like, wow. Um, but then you go, got to pray more. And so you, you dig into God and you just say, God, please just help me through this time. You know, or someone's giving you some message that sounds a bit dodgy or false, but you're not sure. So you say, got to depend more on God. So you dig into the word of God. You keep digging deeper. Something else comes up that you struggle with regularly and it's like, oh, Lord, help me. So you actually use it to kind of throw yourself back on God. You become aware of the risk. So you seek God for help. The issue pops up up in your life. You become aware of sin in your life and then you press into God. You ask God to forgive you, to help you, to give you direction and guidance, whatever's required. So the risk can remind us or kind of prompt us of a time of uh, you need to depend on God more. And when you do, my goodness me, like God delivers you. It might not be instantaneous, but that faith in him over time, you will realise how great he is. You will realise the mighty, the powerful, the sovereign God who wants to just lead you and, and show you grace. You'll be overwhelmed by the spirit that is in you as a Christian that wants to lead you and direct you, to guide you, to clarify things. When you depend on God in times of risk, your faith grows because he helps you and you become more aware of this amazing God. The risk only becomes a problem when we trust in ourselves, when we get all inward looking, When we don't seek help, instead we move away from depending on God for help. That's when it becomes a problem. So if you see risk as this amazing opportunity for potential for great growth, that's a good thing to do. That's why James, um, when he writes his letter in the Bible, he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that, The testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I used to hate reading that passage from James. Consider it pure joy. You you suck, James, you know. (laughs) I didn't get that. But it's true because these times, they force us to press into God 
and ask and seek and long for help. They force us to go deeper into God's word. They force us to spend more time in prayer. So if you're being challenged or confronted or convicted about something you're doing or have been doing, and you know the Bible says it's not right, see it as an opportunity to grow in faith. Risks, they represent great potential for growth. There's one final thing that is positive about risk. It can actually lead us to getting serious about loving and supporting one another. With all the risks that threaten us, we not only need to ask God for help, but we need to sort of come around each other and support one another. This is the way the family should operate. Check out the love and the support that Paul has for the church in Galatia. There's such love behind the words. Verse 11, he's like saying, I fear for you. Verse 12, he says, I plead with you, brothers. Verse 19, my dear children, he calls them, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. If that's not connection and commitment and love for the people, I don't know what is. They show such love, that family concern, that family commitment, the seeking, the longing, the pleading, desiring that the other believers would stay with Jesus. You know, I've uh, such a passion um, to see Christians, to see us loving one another as brothers and sisters with the same practical love and concern Paul had for the believers in Galatia. That living for Jesus um, would become so central to our friendships that encouraging one another, speaking the truth in love, praying for one another, it would become the natural way of how we do life here. When the risks around us are so great, I tell you what, it should be our goal to do that, to come around and support each other. Uh, I know this girl, um, let's call her Beryl or Gertrude. You could take your pick over what name you like. Got it? Good. She's a girl who grew up in a church and then somewhere during high school, she kind of went, this Christian thing, I'm not sure about it. And she, in a way, began to turn back, to turn away from Jesus. She began to get involved in things that weren't uh, taking... The, she began to get involved in things that were kind of taking her away from God. At this point, she could have easily just ended up just away and not, not even near God. But she had a great friend, a Christian sister, that loved her so much that she actually spoke the truth in love. And I'm sure um, she would have initially recoiled and her friend, I'm sure it was very hard to even say that. But God used the moment to bring her back to himself. At this point in time, today, this girl is a passionate follower of Jesus. She has such a passionate faith in her God. She wants to live more and more for Jesus. She's actively involved in encouraging and supporting other believers. That's inspiring. A believer brought back to Jesus 
by a loving sister in the faith. My question for us tonight is, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? I want to put just two simple challenges, massive challenges, because we can all go, thanks for the challenge, and that's about it. But to, impl- to kind of implement it or apply it to your life hard, but here they are. When you're aware of the risk, when you see risk in your life, use it as a reminder to trust and depend more on God. Simple. When the risk, you see it, use that to, as a reminder to just kind of go back to God, no matter what is going on for you today. And secondly, in light of the risk that is around us, determine to build your Christian friendships so that Jesus is again at the centre, or perhaps even for the first time he's at the centre. Make loving and caring for each other, supporting one another in their faith, make that just the natural part of business with each other. If we do this, the risk of turning back, the risk of relationship breakdown, the risk of false teachers will be for the strengthening of our faith in Christ. The risk will be for the building of real Christ-centered community. The risk will be for the growth of the kingdom of God. I wonder, will you take those two challenges? Use risk to depend more on Jesus and build Christ more and more into the center of your friendships. You've got the rest of your life to have a crack at it. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we just, um, you know, we are aware that oh, there's just things in our life and things that seem to press in and, and uh, pose as risk to um, us turning away from you, Jesus, and turning back to stuff that, that you're not on about. But Father God, tonight I pray for each and every one of us, Lord Jesus, that we would use this, these risks as signposts, if you like, as reminders just to kind of go back to you, to go deeper into your word, to to pray more to you, to get more involved in small group and more regular at church and just um, supporting one another more, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, just, just have your way. May we more and more here function as the people of God, really supporting and loving each other. May this kind of grow from strength to strength. And it's for your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.